0: As you talked about, where a tiny house, the entire inside is a cabinet job, right? So everything has to be custom. Everything has to be mounted to the walls. You can't just go to uh, Ikea necessarily and just pick out this. And I'm going to just add that. Very custom. At least that's the way that I built mine.
1: Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 198 with Michael Bartz. We will be talking with Michael today, all things tiny houses, environmentalism, climate change, and more. Michael actually built, hand-built his own tiny house on wheels, and it really set him on the path to think more about what we do, how what we do, and how we live impacts climate change, and he's actually launched a podcast called In Over My Head to explore that. And so in this interview, we will talk about the show, we'll talk about his specific tiny house and what its special features are, and more. I hope you stick around. I'd like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Precision Temp. Precision Temp is making one problem to solve two issues that I know everyone deals with in a tiny house, running out of hot water and heating your tiny house or schoolie. Precision Temp has made the amazing Twin Temp Junior propane tankless water heater which provides unlimited hot water for your tiny house and hydronic heating. This means you get warm, heated floors so there are no cold spots. It's designed specifically for tiny houses and features whisper-quiet operation as well as high efficiency. If you want more information on how Precision Temp can help make tiny living easier and more comfortable, visit PrecisionTemp.com. While you're there, use the coupon code THLP for $100 off any Precision Temp unit plus free shipping. That website again is precisiontemp.com. Coupon code THLP for $100 off any Precision Temp unit plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. All right, I am here with Michael Bartz. Michael is an actor, filmmaker, and environmentalist. In 2017, he took a big step towards lowering his environmental footprint by building his own off-grid tiny home. He crafted everything from the trailer to the reclaimed oak countertops, and after four years, he had his dream home. When it came to his goal of saving the planet, downsizing and minimizing weren't enough. So in 2021, with funding from Tell Us Story Hive, he launched the In Over My Head podcast, an interview style show where Michael talks to experts from a variety of backgrounds and disciplines about how we can all make small changes that add up to a big environmental impact. Michael Bartz, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ethan. You're very welcome. So I guess um, just coming right off the bio, um, does, and this is probably a loaded question with a long answer, but does living in a tiny home make a big environmental impact?
0: Uh, it absolutely does. Yes, yeah. So the the fewer resources you're using, as far as building material and as well as heating the space, uh, electricity, all of those things in a smaller space, you're using less of those things. So it uh-huh. does lower your environmental impact.
1: Okay, and, and i I wondered about that when it came to. The idea of building, you know, building a tiny house with new materials versus, you know, buying a house or living in an apartment to somewhere that, that has already been built, where those materials have already been kind of used used up.
0: Yes. In, in that case, it would, from an environmental perspective, it would be better to use the house that already exists rather than building mm-hmm. a new house per se.
1: Right. But, um, but in terms of building a new house... I guess it makes sense that that building and living tiny would be the least impact.
0: Yeah. And and ideally, again, from an environmental perspective, even finding a used tiny house and yep. buying that, that would be the best of both worlds. Cause you could live tiny and do, it wouldn't be new, any new resources. Yep.
1: Yep. Exactly. So maybe tell, tell us about and expand on your story a little bit. Um, you know, going back to 2017, um, you know, what, why were you thinking about going tiny and and how did that take shape for you? For
0: sure. So yeah, 2017 is when I actually I started the build. And so about a year prior to that, I, I went through uh, a life change and I was looking at doing something different. I wanted to maybe go back to school,
1: uh-huh.
0: maybe buy a house. I wanted to maybe do some traveling.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I couldn't quite decide. And the, the idea of tiny living came up because perhaps that could satisfy all of those things. Potentially I could be learning. I could be living in that space, perhaps traveling in that space. Uh So eventually I decided, yes, I'm going to build this off-grid tiny house. Actually, I remember the time where I, so I saved for a year, I saved Mm $25,000 and I did as much research as I could. I went to the national tiny house jamboree in 2016. And the point where I said, okay, I'm actually going to do this thing. I could use that money, to, again, to go back to school, to put a down payment on a regular house, which was the least exciting part. Mm-hmm. I could travel with that money, but no, I've decided to do this thing and I'm and I'm going to do it. Even though at the time I thought, you know, there's no guarantees because it's not a legal way to live. There's zoning issues sometimes. So it could be a risk. I could spend a lot of money and a lot of time and, and someone could show up and say, mm, can't live here. Right. But I decided that anything I do is a risk, right? There's no guarantees in life, so I'm just gonna do it. So I ordered the trailer parts, the axles, the metal, and I and I got to it.
1: Wow. So you um you actually built your own trailer.
0: I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not recommend that for most people. <laughs> I've been welding since I was a teenager. My dad's a journeyman welder, so even that was a big project for me and him and I tackled it together and he was very much going through it with me, checking my weld. So that it was more of that I want to do as much as I can on this build and why not build the trailer too?
1: Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask about that because from, I, I don't know that I've ever spoken to somebody who either built or refurbished a trailer who, who recommends it or would do it again.
0: Yeah, definitely not for, for the average builder for sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: how, how long did it take to build the trailer?
0: That was actually pretty quick. We went pretty hard. It was the spring of 2017 and it only took a few weeks actually to, uh-huh. to build it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so.
1: Nice. Well, that's not so bad. hmm But you, that, that assumed that you kind of knew how to build the trailer. Like, did you have a set of plans? Did you have a design on paper? Like, how did that all work?
0: Yeah, we had a set of plans. I knew what um, type of steel I wanted to use. I knew everything that was going into it. Mm-hmm. I have uh, two 7,000-pound axles, a, a dually. Yeah. Uh, it's a gooseneck trailer. So, yeah, I knew that. So, it was pretty straightforward as far as building the actual structure. Okay. A lot of it was, and actually, as you know, probably with, like, the Eagle trailers and such, yep. having a, a, a designated trailer that's built for a tiny house saves a lot of time when you're putting the house on top of it. So that was, yeah, it was a pretty easy transition. Yeah. One thing I did differently, which was nice about building my own. Cause I have that skill was that I actually, so I put the bathroom on the front of the trailer and I actually built the bathroom two feet high and built that out of steel as well. Ooh. And in that way I, I, cause my maintenance room was underneath. So I could put my water heater, uh, my tanks, my batteries, all that stuff under there, but I didn't really know the order or how I wanted to do that. So Building it in steel allowed me to leave that space kind of open and I could mm-hmm. tweak that a bit and I ended up mm-hmm. doing access doors on the north and, and south side. And so right. I could just right. open that up in there and one door is the, the whole the whole width of, of that space.
1: Nice. Nice. So. Yeah. Is that conditioned space in there? Is it is it heated?
0: Yeah, um, it is heated slightly. Yeah, it's insulated and then the the furnace is in there. So it does heat the space.
1: Nice. Nice. Um, what are some other, uh, well, actually, so it, how long did it take you to, to do your build?
0: Yeah. So that, uh, the, the, trailer was quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, the rest took a while. So it was four years in total and that was three years part-time. So I was still doing a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. And so it was evenings, weekends, whenever I could fit it in. And then 2020, that spring, I decided to, it was, I was done with, with building. I wanted to just get it done. So I took that entire year and around other projects, mostly was building. So then another, I probably, I put in over a thousand hours in that last year. Wow. Just in, in building. But I, like I mentioned, aside from the trailer, I made everything. I made all the furniture. I made my own hinges for the, for the cabinet doors. Wow. Yeah. Doing the countertop that even that kitchen countertop probably took me two weeks of gluing the wood, sanding it, everything else. So it was a labor of love. But it took took a while
1: yeah and and did you set out to kind of build everything yourself in that way, or did that kind of happen uh, along the way and then you no you know, yeah,
0: I definitely going into it, I thought I want to build as much as I can, and part of it was just also out of necessity, as you talked about, where a tiny house the entire inside is a cabinet job, right so everything has to be yeah. custom, everything has to be mounted to the walls you can't just Go to uh, IKEA necessarily and just pick out this, and I'm going to just add that. It's 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 very custom. At least that's the way that I built mine. So I thought I want it to look a certain way. I want it to be beautiful, and I have to make these certain sizes and dimensions. So why not just do it all myself?
1: Yeah. So um, how how is it insulated and how do you heat it? So I've
0: got spray foam insulation, Mm -hmm. and then I heat it with just a, a forced air propane furnace.
1: Okay. And yeah, it works pretty good. Yeah, and you're you're completely off grid?
0: Mhm, yeah. We have to top up the batteries once in a while we're noticing, but in the winter especially right now, but yeah, yeah we run off of propane and then solar as well. So everything right. is 12 volt and then the, the propane powered and I really tried in my design to limit how many electronic pieces that I'm using. Yeah. So we use a, a gas range and then I've got a stovetop popcorn popper, I've got a stovetop toaster. I try to use as much at least in the kitchen, the stovetop as much as possible, whereas as opposed to using electric toaster and things like that. So trying to lower our electronic use right. and and hopefully our, our electricity and, and power use.
1: Right, right. There's always that push and pull environmentally be- between, you know, using propane to allow yourself yeah. to be off grid, but then also mm-hmm. not wanting to use propane, or at least that's that's how sure. I've always felt yeah. about it.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you have any plans to like increase your solar capacity over time, and then you know replace propane things with electric things?
0: Yeah, I we definitely want to increase the solar. Part of this this journey is that you know there's there's thousands of decisions you need to make when you're building your tiny house. Oh yeah. Even if you're you're, it's partly made. It's just it's just it can be overwhelming. You can feel in over your head about that. But uh, that was like. I'm not an electrician. I did have help with the electrical. I did pull uh-huh. the wire. We hooked it all together, but I had a journeyman electrician help me with that, a friend of mine. And even he wasn't really an expert in solar. So I was, I was trying to figure out as much as I could, as far as how much power am I going to need? And it's, yeah, it's a little light. We could add more. I guess the one thing I wasn't aware of, I got a, a kit. Okay. And I wasn't aware that there was a limit on to how many panels I could add because of my charge controller, because of the gauge of wire I had. So uh-huh. if I had known that, I probably would have gotten a bigger system in order to eat more easily at it. We can do it, and it's going to be a little bit of figuring, but it would have been a lot easier from the get-go to do that. So we'll probably, ideally, probably double our solar, and that's going to make a big difference in the winter. Summertime, no problem at all. Winters a little bit, uh, we got to top it up a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, it gets uh, unfortunately cloudy in the winter, and the days are shorter to boot.
0: Right, and super, super cold. It's yeah, yeah. it's very cold right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So where where are you located exactly?
0: Uh, we're in in Canada, in uh, southern Alberta.
1: Okay, okay. So pretty far north, even though it's southern Alberta.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like right now. I don't know Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, it was minus thirty nine yesterday, I believe. So it's yeah, it's a bit cold. But actually, like with the spray foam, things have been quite nice inside. Yes, the furnace is running more, but that's every house ever. And and I think I, I tried as much as I could to build the house to be off-grid in four seasons in Canada in winter. So it's just a, the reality that we're going to use a little bit more utilities, but compared to a big house, far, far fewer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in, in terms of those those um, the building envelope, what, um, what thickness are your walls and floors and, and ceilings?
0: Yeah. So I've got three and a half inches on the walls, just Uh a two by four Yeah, Uh, in the trailer. I insulated that with rigid foam insulation. That's probably five and a half inches. And then the ceilings are two by six. So I've got five and a half. And I, I did hire out the spray foam, but I had them just go right to the the roof. So there's a bit more in the roof.
1: Nice. Mm -hmm. And have you been happy with how it's performed in the winter? Is this your first winter in it?
0: It is, yeah. So yeah, I finished the build this spring and then this is our, our first winter in the house, but so far so good because I insulated that maintenance room, got lots of, you know, the house is well insulated. So yes, the furnace has been running more, but it's been cozy and it's been nice and no issues.
1: That's that's great to hear. Congratulations.
0: Yeah, we'll see. The one challenge is we, we haul our water from, from the farm that we're living on. Okay. So I put the water from one tank outside into the tank in the house. So that's where I could see a problem. Like I was, it was about minus 15 degrees Celsius and I was still able to to fill the tank just fine. Okay. We'll see if it's minus 30, if, if things start to freeze up, but cross that bridge when we get there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that can, water is a big challenge in the cold. Right. So in terms of your parking, um, is this, um, you mentioned that you're living on a farm is this the kind of uh, like we're out of view of of the road and other houses, so nobody's going to find us? Or um, what's the legal status of of your parking?
0: Yeah, so we are tucked away in a farm in southern mm-hmm. Alberta, and yeah, the, partly the reason that we ended up going out there is was, was the zoning issues, of course, because although we I built it in the city, I just I didn't want to park it in the city because that's where my thought of like someone knocks on the door and says, "No, I can't live here," mm-hmm. would be more likely to happen. So. We, we ended up looking for a place out of town, partly to avoid that. And because we just, we enjoy the country, we enjoy that kind of quieter life. But finding the place was, was quite interesting. It's a fun story in that. So my, I'll start with my dad's a musician Mm -hmm. and he's in his sixties and most of his, his uh, groupies are in their sixties as well or so, or, or older. And I was at one of his concerts and he asked who still gets the newspaper And, and everyone's hands went up. And I looked at that and I thought, hmm, because I always wanted to live on someone's property where I could give back to whoever I was living with. So, and someone maybe like yeah, a senior citizen where they need their walk shovel, they need help with a few tasks where they just can't do it themselves. So I thought I'd like to build that community and relationship instead of just paying money. Here you go. Let's let's get to know each other. I can help you. You can you know put give me a place to park. So that was my thinking. So I. One day just decided to put an ad in the, in the local paper. And I was actually quite overwhelmed by responses because essentially, because let me start again in that I said, I didn't say tiny house, but I said trailer. And I said, I'd like to park our trailer on your property and I'll do odd jobs to pay for the spot. So essentially they're getting free help and and I'm getting a place to park. So I had so many responses and uh, a couple responded and we went and saw them, and we liked them, and they liked us, and so we moved out there.
1: That's fantastic. And so, when, um, what kind of jobs have you ended up doing?
0: Oh yeah, everything under the sun. It's a, it's a, a crop farm, and okay. boy, I, I because I'm, a am a welder. I was learned to weld. I've done some welding, fixed things. I made a fuel tank stand. Mm-hmm. I help with harvest, but lots of like. Little jobs mowing the lawn, kind of whatever comes up, fixing odd things. All right. So it's just jack of all trades, I would say.
1: Cool. And, and you, yeah, it's fun. And in return, you receive a free parking spot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have any, we don't pay rents. So we have no mortgage. The house is paid off and they just give us a spot and we park and it's a great relationship.
1: That's fantastic. And, and you keep saying we. So I'm assuming that you live in the house with somebody else. Yeah.
0: So my, my partner Sarah and I live in the house.
1: Nice. And did, um, Have you known each other from before you you built the tiny house? No, so
0: I actually met her in 2017. I probably, I think I had done the framing when we met, so I had started the project, Mm -hmm. and that's when we met to became friends, and then became more than friends. But she's always been a she's a traveler. She's from Spain, and she moved here to to work in research. She's a Mm -hmm. scientist, and she finished her PhD on their orchard in Spain, and she was living there, lighting the fire, heating it, things like that. So she was used to living kind of off-grid, not showering every day, things like that. So she was was on board definitely with the project and was excited about about our life together. Mm
1: -hmm. That's great. Let's face it. Most tiny house dwellers want their homes to be small but not uncomfortable. That means reliable, unlimited hot water. Precision Temps propane-fired hot water heaters reliably provide unlimited hot water, and they're specifically designed with tiny homes in mind. In fact, the NSP-550 model was installed in my own tiny home and the reason I chose it was because it did not require a large hole in the side of my home like other RV hot water heaters. Instead, it mounts discreetly through the floor of the tiny house and works quietly and reliably. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $100 off any unit plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP at checkout. So head over to precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP at checkout for $100 off plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. How did having her involved in the building change, change the house at all? Uh, not a lot.
0: I think in some ways I almost wish we could have designed it together mm-hmm. because I already had a, a plan in mind and this is where things were going to be. And there were, At that point, there wasn't a lot of changing it. Right. We okay. did get some CATs. And I had did add a few little things for the cats and tried to make it as cat friendly as possible, but it was all kind of after the fact. Um, yeah. One, one fun thing is she wanted to put a cat door in the main door so the cat could get in and out. Yeah. And I said, uh, no, thank you because that's just going to let all sorts of air in. And it's just, yeah. I'm not putting a, a, a hole in this, like my fiberglass, brand new three quarter inch glass, right. three quarter glass door. Right. No, sorry, not happening. So we started Googling and looking around and they make, cat doors for apartments that go out onto on like a porch. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's interesting. And so I built a cat door into our bathroom window. Oh. And so she jumps onto the countertop in the bathroom and then she jumps out and I put a ladder outside and she goes down the ladder. So wow. she has her little cat door. Yeah. We can open and close it. So in winter, like right now it's very cold. Right. We just close it and she can't get out and that doesn't let any cold air out. But in summer she's free to come and go as she pleases, which works really well.
1: That's really cool. So, so is there a screen built into that somehow to prevent bugs from coming in or? Not
0: really. No, it's it's a regular door. It has a bit of a gap, but it's, mm-hmm. it just swings open and closed. So okay. it's not, not really an issue. Yeah, it's just I built, I took a, an existing cat door that swings and then I just built a frame for it and a, and a, a stand mm-hmm. on the outside that, that fits inside that window. So I just had to custom build that. Okay. Once we were on the farm, I, I figured that out. So nice. it works
1: really well. Awesome. Yeah, I love, I love hearing about those little customizations and things that right. people do to make their tiny houses unique to them.
0: Yeah, and, and things you wouldn't maybe have thought of normally. That's, we've made a few little adjustments like that, that just making the space work a little bit better for us without making any major changes.
1: Yeah. like what it, Can you share another one?
0: Oh, I would say, I'm thinking of in the kitchen. I actually originally put our recycling bins under, in a drawer under the countertop. Okay. Because I wanted to have everything in the house, but we soon we soon realized that we needed more pantry space. So those came out, and those go outside now. And then we filled that with various pantry things. So that, that's one small example of of how we slightly modify without making any major changes to to suit our lifestyle.
1: Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. So can you? I want to kind of shift gears now and and talk about about your podcast in over my head. Um, you know, how long had you been thinking about a project like that? Is that something that happened during the tiny house build or, or after?
0: Yeah, it was It was during in, in mm-hmm. some ways in that I uh, when I was building, I always thought I wanted to do a documentary project around the tiny house and potentially take it on the road. And so I tried to build it as light and, and mobile as possible, mm-hmm. as, as much as a tiny house can be. Yep. I, since then, I've realized that moving it to the farm I was on pins and needles, and and I thought I don't want to move this again if we can help it. So I'd much rather not move the house. And even if I did that project, I'd probably go around on a bicycle or hitchhike or something. Because again, looking at the environmental impact, me taking a one ton dually truck and pulling my house across the country probably not a good idea. Yeah. But I always had that idea of yeah, I'd like to talk about tiny houses. I want to talk about environmentalism. How can I get that story across? And That was, that was percolating. And, and then in 2020, tell a story hive for your listeners who aren't aware. It's a, it's a media company in Canada and they primarily fund documentary work is how I knew them. Mm -hmm. But in 2020, they did a podcast edition. So they offered a grant of $10,000 and mentorship to produce a season of your podcast. So you pitch it to us and, and out of 700 applications, I was one of 16 spots that was chosen. So.
1: Fantastic. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. And then with that show, I, it, I didn't want it to just be about tiny houses because as much as that's a big part of my life, it's not a part of everyone's life. And that maybe wouldn't translate to everyone. And uh-huh. in order to make an impact in saving the planet, as I say, in environmentalism, we need everyone on board. And while I was building, I was also involved with a group called Environment Lethbridge from where I'm mm-hmm. from. And so I was doing environmental work. And I thought, yeah, maybe I can talk about some of these stories and some of the things that people are doing. Because as I talk about in my show, feeling in over my head, the, the name comes from that when thinking about saving the planet, I've, you know, I've downsized, I've minimized. Mm-hmm. But then I thought I need to do these other things and I need to grow my own food and make my own clothes and hitchhike and dumpster dive and all these things. But in the end, you just, you end up feeling overwhelmed because you're one person trying to make a, a huge change. Yeah. And so I started talking with these experts and, and the more I learned, the more inspired and the better I felt. And I thought, yeah, that that's what the show should be about. That's the show. And I pitched it to Tell us and, and they
1: agreed. Nice. So what what are some of the the small changes and things that you've learned about through through doing the season?
0: Yeah. So season one, I talked with the local experts in Lethbridge from Kathleen, which is the the very first episode, she talked about, we talked about downsizing in tiny houses Mm -hmm. and from her, even just a small thing, I learned that yes, turning down your thermostat, that does make a difference. Even boiling uh, a kettle, instead of filling it all the way up, if you just need one cup, just, just boil as much as you need, right? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Just those little changes can add up for sure. With Bryce, we talk about solar power Mm -hmm. and he talked about not using more than you need. So instead of getting this huge solar system figure out what you need, try to use less and then have a system that works for that. What else did I learn? Hmm. Ooh, with uh, Mandy from Lethbridge Sustainable Living, we talked about permaculture and she really, one thing I didn't think about in not just the house design, but where we were living was mm-hmm. how do, how do we relate to nature and the environment and what is our impact on that? And especially on the farm, where are our trees and where are we getting our water from and, and things like that. So. Thinking about that and, and using the land and, and less technology can lower your environmental impact. And I know not everyone can live in the, in the country. So we do talk about what people can do in the city as far as permaculture and, and reducing their impact that way.
1: Fantastic. Do you think you'll do a second season of the show?
0: Yeah. So actually season two is, is out already. Oh, nice. And that's okay. all about, yeah, transportation. I, I decided instead of doing a show like, like yours, I, I love your show. It's very mm-hmm. great you're doing a weekly show with different guests. Mm -hmm. And for me, I wanted to focus on a specific topic and do more of a deep dive. So I'm doing each season on a different topic and talking with a variety of guests within that topic. So season two is about transportation. So I, I broadened my scope and I ended up talking with people from across the country. So some from the University of Toronto, some from the University of British Columbia. I had the climate change and policy analyst from the David Suzuki Foundation. And so I talked to these Folks, about how we get around. We talked about electric cars. We talk about public transportation, active transportation, trains, things like that, and lowering our environmental input and lowering our environmental impact when it comes to transportation. So that's what season two is about.
1: Fantastic. Um, and how is it? Is it how many episodes is season two?
0: I decided to go with with six episodes. I feel like that's a nice round number. So yep. the first season was six. So let's do another half a dozen conversations. And we can't obviously exhaust that topic in, in six, about 30 minute talks, but it's it gets us talking about it at least.
1: Sure, sure. And uh, so plans for season three?
0: Yeah, season three. So in season two, I noticed that people were talking a lot about where we get our power from mm-hmm. in, as far as electric cars and public transportation. And so I think, I think I'm going to look into the grid and Electricity and and where we get our power from is is where I'm leaning. That'll be probably starting in January.
1: Okay. And do you you know do you record the episodes and produce them and release them one at a time or is it kind of like the Netflix style like you you release all the whole season at once?
0: Yeah, Netflix style. Yeah, I just I just thought why not instead of releasing it all in in over a month or over a period of time, just do it all at once. So it's, it's like an album or something. Yeah. I just. We make it, we curate it, I, I get to choose which episodes come in what order, yep. and then just put it out there and people can take it at their leisure.
1: Yeah. How has Living Tiny affected you know your thinking about sustainability or, or environmentalism? Has it changed at all?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I think it has, in that living in, in the house, especially a house that I've built and that it's off-grid, it's tiny, I'm, I'm always thinking about it because it's not just a regular house and I'm doing my, my thing. It's like, that's so much of my life. And especially with the show, I, yeah, I I think about it a lot all the time, basically too much, too much, but it's good. I like it. It's, it's fine.
1: Do you think that, that you'll ever do a season about tiny houses or, or alternative housing?
0: Uh, potentially. I do want to cover cities and how they're designed and, and that we could definitely talk about housing. Yeah. I've got a lot of different topics in mind, but maybe not necessarily tiny houses specifically, but that, that could come up potentially.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Back to your tiny house. Um, is there anything major that you'd change about it if you ever built another tiny house? And do you have any plans to build another tiny house?
0: So For this first question, the only thing I think I might change or have reconsidered is that because I planned on moving it, uh-huh. I built it within the, the RV specs where it's eight and a half feet wide, 13 and a half feet tall. I built it to move. And now knowing that I, we probably won't move it that much, I may have considered making it wider. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're fine in the space. It's great, but we had two friends over and they had suitcases and we put that in kind of the mudroom area, which is really the kitchen. And that just took up so much space. And so with, Sarah and I, it's fine, but then we start adding a few people and a bit of their stuff and it, it gets a little cramped. So knowing that, yeah, and I, I just didn't want to get a wide, low permit and go through all that. If we're only going to move it a few times, a wide, low permit, not a big deal. Right. And that I've, when I was in Colorado for the tiny house chamboree, I, I was inside some houses that were 10, 12 feet wide. And it really makes a difference in how the space feels and, and the usable space you have. So potentially maybe I might look at making it a little bit wider. Also, when I started building it, the idea was that we don't have everything that we need in our house. You know, you don't have a gym, you don't have an office. You go to those places, you go to maybe other people's houses that, that if you want to get together. And since then that has changed a little bit in that Sarah and I both have our office in the tiny house now. Yeah. So Yeah. So now we're both working from home where we weren't before because she was at the research station and, and I was working in post-secondary, but now that I'm not doing a nine to five, I'm, I'm just doing these other projects and she's having to work a lot from home. That's something that we weren't really planning for. So potentially I would have planned for more of an office space that was a designated space. Right now we have our kind of living room that, that converts into our office, which
1: it works. It's yeah, fine. Yeah,
0: But I wouldn't want to record an episode and have her there and it would be quite tight.
1: Yeah. So are you recording this now from the tiny house or you, you have a different place you can go to do? To do um, I've got a, a
0: studio in town that I'm nice. using today because only because actually you wanted a uh, a good Wi-Fi connection. Yes. And that's something we don't have on the farm. And right now I'm recording my podcast just through the phone, which works well. Which is nice because then I don't have to rely on the internet. Yeah. But I thought if we want a nice internet connection, I'll I'll come to the, the studio in town. But normally yeah, I, I do all the recording in the tiny house, which is which is very fun.
1: Nice. Yeah. Well I, I appreciate the quest for better Wi Fi. hmm It's always good when the guests when the listeners can hear what the guest is saying. Yes.
0: It will be the best sounding podcast episode you've had.
1: Yes. Yes. And I appreciate that. If that you know, no, not many people get to actually see the video, but Michael has a a sweet microphone set up and and his voice is sounding very sweet.
0: Very rich, yes, and and if you want to geek out about podcasts, I've got a it's a local recording, so I'm recording it here and I will send it to Ethan and it will sound amazing.
1: Very 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 nice. Michael, is there anything else that you were hoping to talk about today? Yeah, one thing I
0: thought about in our chat about environmentalism and tiny living was considering being off grid because a lot of people think that okay I want to build a tiny house I'm going to save the planet reduce my environmental impact I have to be off grid and off grid is great and it's very convenient if you need to move around or you don't know where you're going to be we enjoy the sustainability aspect of it in that when the sun is shining we are powering everything and it feels really great to do mm-hmm. that but if you're someone who is on a limited budget and you say that I want to to live tiny and reduce my impact, but I just, I can't afford to live off grid. There's something you need to consider in, in that you need to ask yourself a very simple question and everyone can answer it. It's where do you live? Mm -hmm. And depending on where you live in what state, that's actually going to depend on how your power is created. So Ethan, you're in Vermont and actually the power is made by hydro, biomass, some solar. So you guys are actually making renewable power and then giving that onto the grid. Whereas if you're in some other states, West Virginia, for example, Mm -hmm. so much of their power comes from coal. And that's the same here in Alberta. A lot of our power is coming from coal. So if that's the case, then, then potentially being off grid will be more environmentally friendly. But if you're in a state where your power is made by renewable energy, plugging into the grid isn't the end of the world. It's actually potentially, possibly more environmentally friendly than you buying a whole bunch of solar panels and uh, extra things that had to be made in China and shipped and all those things just plug into the grid. So potentially if you had a tiny house that either you made yourself or like we talked about, you bought a used tiny house, you plug it into the grid, mm-hmm. you're still doing okay. So don't be too hard on yourself. If you can't be hundred percent off grid and you want to save the planet there, there are other things you need to consider. And really anyone who goes tiny is already doing so much more for the environment than living in a big house. So perfect is the enemy of good in that you can't be perfect. There's, like I said, there's thousands of decisions you have to make and you're not going to always make the right decision. But if you feel overwhelmed about saving the planet, Mm -hmm. know that you don't have to be perfect, live in a small house, do that. I highly recommend that. But because you're lowering your emissions how much energy you're using, and also just living in the house for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. That's a lot less of that that you're going to be using. So don't necessarily think you have to go off grid. Look at where your power source is coming from would be my my one tip for our listeners.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. That's that's a great tip. Thanks, Ethan. So one thing that I like to ask all my guests is, you know, what are two or three resources that helped you um, in the building or design of your tiny house that you'd like to share with our listeners,
0: for sure. You know, I, I did a lot of my own research. I, mm-hmm. I a lot of books that I purchased, a lot of online YouTube channels about building tiny houses. Yeah, I think for me the biggest thing was actually going to the National Tiny House Jamboree, meeting other people who had done what I what I was about to do, mm-hmm. and and actually seeing the houses because it's one thing to. Watch some videos and, and read some books, but if, if you can, if possible, try to go and, and see a tiny house, even Airbnb, you can stay in a tiny house. yeah try to go and see them and and spend some time in some of them. For me, that was probably the biggest learning that I could have done.
1: Nice that, that is good advice going and seeing them and, and meeting other people.
0: hmm
1: Awesome. Well, Michael Barts, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ethan.
1: Thank you so much to Michael Bartz for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to In Over My Head and photos of Michael's tiny house. And as always, a complete transcript at thetinyhouse.net/slash 198. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net/slash 198. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.